It's going so fast. Yesterday morning I was calling it October 17th. Today I was calling it, or yeah, yesterday I was calling it October, and now again today I'm calling it October. But we have to wait a few more days. some stories coming out there's one already one episode posted about um, a lady named Krug Jessica A. Krug has already posted this week her story how she um, engaged in um, racial identity shifting of some kind and she came out and apologized and now there's another story at medium.com about CV Vitolo Haddad another academic racial fraud is what the author says an anonymous author says and it's course is really long and all the back and forth and um, it's there if you want to read it it goes on and on and on and I was tempted to just at first glance say well who really cares so what? What does it matter? They're using um, non-binary identities. They, them, they don't use uh, pronouns. Her, she, him. I figured, well, what the heck? That's their business. That's their choice. It's their life. It doesn't bother me any. But now once I look behind the scenes into the story and see how their colleagues were affected in these universities, the um, competition, especially for the uh, teaching assistant positions for the graduate students and for the PhD candidates, is just so competitive, it's just so extremely difficult that it's no wonder their colleagues are just furious and upset because of the um, impact it has on them. They are losing out on all sorts of uh, educational opportunities and in their future so um, personally I know of a niece that finished her PhD not too many years ago and she sacrificed so much oh it, it's just incredible how much work is involved with the sacrifices that they have to make. It 
they really do. And now we have these people that are finding uh, some sort of a pleasure in creating alternative wherever they can. And there's an article that CNN put out tonight about the latest racial identity shift. The University of Wisconsin-Madison grad student admits pretending to be a person of color. Story written by Hyra Humayun and David Williams. September 17, 2020 at 1.16 p.m. And again, just to read that right there, it just seems like, well, they haven't harmed anybody. But when you hear their colleagues, when you read some of what the colleagues have to say, yeah, it's... uh. really uh, tragic really is anyways the stories are quite long and cnn.com and medium have to disavow them. It takes all that extra time and work. Uh, Their colleagues spend so much time and effort trying to sort this out and they're in a PhD program where every minute counts and tooth on a hoverboard sentenced okay <laughs> Seth Lockhart oh Seth Lookhart who was filmed extracting a patient's tooth while on a hoverboard <laughs> has been sentenced oh boy these are CNN stories, early morning stories. Oh, not so early, it was seven hours ago. It says, sentenced to 12 years in jail. Oh, story by Harmeet, K-A-U-R, 
they need his skills. Seth Lockhart, 35, convicted. Uh-oh. This is why it's good to do the research, because maybe he won't be sprung from this charge. Convicted on 46 felony and misdemeanor counts in January including medical assistance fraud, scheme to defraud, illegal practice of dentistry, and reckless endangerment. Oh, they threw the book this time. Anchorage Superior Court Judge Michael Wolverton sentenced Lookhart on Monday to serve 20 years in jail with eight years suspended, the statement said. That means Lookhart will serve 12 years behind bars. He also cannot practice dentistry during his 10 years of probation. Lookhart apologized for his actions while reading from a prepared statement. Quote, looking back, I can't say exactly when I began to go off course, he said. CNN affiliate KTUU reported. While I do not doubt that I was able to render care and alleviate the pain to many people who were in dire need, I also know that I could have and should have maintained better discipline and focus. While serving a patient base, I came to love. He also said he had changed and asked the court to reconsider. Quote, I know I would be my best self and in turn able to serve my family and the community best if I were granted the privilege and the hope of a renewed lease on life practicing dentistry and living among those that I love, Lockhart said. 
at the sentencing, Judge Wolverton said, quote, I think what you did was so outrageous, narcissistic, and crazy. So, I forgive you for all that, but there's obviously a high-priced lesson that you're going to have to learn. Oh, boy. This is tough. This is too much. At Lookhart's trial earlier this year, Wolverton called the evidence against him, quote, simply overwhelming, adding that it was, quote, often supported and often in excruciating detail by Lookhart's own texts, photos, and videos. Some of these stories just, it's just too much. Hmm. Now wait, this is hoverboard incident was just one part of the case. A lawsuit filed by the state in 2017 charged Lookhart with, quote, unlawful dental acts, saying his patient care did not meet professional standards. He also billed Medicaid for procedures that were either unnecessary or not properly justified. His case gained widespread attention over an incident described in the lawsuit in which he extracted a tooth from a sedated patient while riding a hoverboard, filmed the procedure, and then sent it to several people. In at least one conversation, Lookhart joked that performing oral surgery on a hoverboard was a, quote, new standard of care, the lawsuit said, citing phone records. The judge said the hoverboard incident was not the most serious aspect of the case. Lookhart was found to have performed anesthesia, quote, thousands of times without training or consent. Wait a minute. patients outside his scope of training and expertise while stealing money from Medicaid and embezzling from his bosses. 
statement from the Department of Law said, oh, this just doesn't seem possible. Patients at the January trial also testified that they had woken up to find that Lockhart had worked on or removed the wrong tooth or that he had performed a different treatment than what they had agreed to. Oh, no. KTUU reported, quote, this is not an economic crime. Eric Senta, an assistant attorney general with the Department of Law, said at the sentencing, quote, this is not a case where the court is sentencing someone who stole $2 million. Look hard, hurt people vulnerable people, disabled children. Oh, no. Lookhart's attorney, Kevin Fitzgerald, argued that his client had already faced consequences for his actions. Quote, He's lost a business honor. Your court is well aware there are civil suits. There's been negative publicity and the likely loss of his license, which again is pending, but the state's position is to revoke it permanently. Fitzgerald said at the sentencing, Lookhart is scheduled to start serving his sentence December 7th, Center confirmed to CNN. Lookhart's co-defendants, his office manager, Shauna Cranford, and his corporation, Lookhart Dental LLC are scheduled for sentencing later this week, the statement said. Prosecutors are pushing for the court to order Lookhart to pay more than $2 million, quote, to compensate for the funds that Lookhart fraudulently obtained from the Alaska Medicaid system and embezzled. The Department of Law statement said, Oh, boy. 
goes back, that's a throwback to some of the California doctors that over the decades, they've done just as, just as much, just as bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. hear it is just as shocking. It doesn't matter how many times you hear these stories. Somehow we just put doctors on a pedestal and and people of color we should know better because we are the ones that they experiment on. We lose so many family members to wrongful death and to so many other unnecessary procedures. That's a nice way to say it. (laughs) But we still give everybody to just judge everyone individually and not um, assign blame to one person because of or assign blame to a whole group of people or a whole class of people or race of people based upon what one person has done. So we're always shocked when we shouldn't be. (laughs) Oh, man. Guess you never live longer. You never live so long that you can't be surprised by what goes on in the world. scholar into believing the gospel of Jesus' wife was real. Oh, by David Burke, CNN religious editor, September 13, 2020, at 8.20 a.m. she dubbed, quote, the gospel of Jesus' wife. In 2012, Karen King, a prestigious scholar at Harvard Divinity School, announced the academic discovery of a lifetime 
a scrap of papyrus purportedly from the early days of Christianity in which Jesus refers to a woman as, quote, my wife. The text also includes the words Mary and she is able to be my disciple. It seemed at first like a blockbuster finding for feminist scholars and an existential threat to the Catholic Church's all-male priesthood. King, who unveiled her find just steps from the Vatican, thought the fragment, fragment could validate her life's work, claiming a place for women in the early days of Christianity. But instead of overturning years of religious scholarship, King's, quote, discovery capsized her career. The, quote, gospel of Jesus' wife, as King called it, was exposed by scholars as fake, and the prestigious professor's name has become a watchword for academics hoodwinked by con men. In 2016, after journalist Ariel Sabar published an article in The Atlantic uncovering the ownership history of the Jesus' wife fragment, King herself publicly acknowledged the, the papyrus is likely a forgery. Four years later, Sabar is back with the fascinating full story in his new book, quote, Veritas, a Harvard professor, a con man, and the gospel of Jesus' wife. Sabar, Sabar painstakingly unspools the threads that led to King's demise, seeking to explain why she would stake her reputation on promises from a mysterious Florida man. You can see evidence of the fragment's fakeness on Sabar's website. And they give you the highlight to click there. CNN recently spoke to Sabar about the gospel of Jesus' wife. Whether anyone still believes it's real and what might have motivated the forger 
This interview has been edited for brevity and clarity. Question. What's the thinking now on the gospel of Jesus' wife? Are we 95% sure it's fake? Higher than that? It's safe to say that there is no scholar that I know of anywhere who is defending the gospel of Jesus' wife as authentic, not even Karen King. She was the last holdout, and after my piece in the Atlantic about its provenance, history of ownership, King said it, quote, tips the balance towards forgery. You did a lot of biographical research on King. What was her background in religion? She grew up in a small town, Sheridan, Montana. She always felt like an outsider as a star student in high school and as a person of faith. She had gone to a Methodist church with her family, but decided it was not earnest or serious enough. So she walked across the street to the Episcopal Church, where she was the only youth in the Bible study. Later, she had an evangelical conversion at a summer camp where she felt transported and empowered by Jesus. But when she came back to Sheridan, the Sunday school teacher belittled her for it, saying, quote, that's not really how we do Christianity. It was a really hard thing for her to hear, especially at that age, that she was, quote, doing Christianity wrong. And you can find that through line in her career. She shines a very bright light on the line between heresy and orthodoxy. Next question. And King is a scholar of Mary Magdalene, right? Answer. King is interested in recovering the original Mary Magdalene and making her stand for early Christian women. One of the ways she's brought Mary Magdalene to greater prominence is through the Gospel of Mary, the only Christian scripture written in the name of a woman.
editor's note, the text discovered in 1896 is considered outside the Christian canon. It's unclear if the gospel is actually about Magdalene. And they show this picture supposed to be Jesus and there's someone kneeling, a woman kneeling, and he's holding his hand up to stop or stay back. She's reaching for him. Many scholars have theorized about Jesus' marital status arguing he might have been in a relationship with Mary Magdalene. That's the caption under the picture. We'll continue with the answer to that question. Oh no, we'll continue with the next question. But even where Jesus comes to the defense of these early female figures in the Gnostic Gospels, it's at the expense of their sexuality. And King lamented this. She wanted to know why wasn't it okay for early Christian women to be apostles and retain their capacity to be a woman. The gospel of Jesus' wife squared that circle for King. In its central lines, Jesus said to them, My wife, she is able to be my disciple. I'll read that again. This is the answer to the question. The gospel of Jesus' wife squared that circle for king in its central lines. Quote, Jesus said to them, My wife, she is able to be my disciple. That provides in two fragmentary lines of Coptic an answer to a question Karen King had been asking her whole career. Next question. Did the forger know did the forger know that about King? Do you think the fake gospel was targeted specifically at her. Answer, the owner of the gospel of Jesus' wife is Walter Fritz, who most scholars regard as the forger. Fritz denies that, but there is strong circumstantial evidence that he did. 
parentheses when contacted by CNN, Fritz acknowledged owning the fragment and giving it to King. He also said, quote, Mr. Sabar has been working on this book for six years. He's a hired hand for somebody to discredit the piece that I own. It is not a forgery. Oh boy. I asked him if he approached anyone besides King about the fragment. He said no. He had seen her on TV and heard a lot about her work. It was not hard to find out what King would find compelling. You can find DVDs in which she talks about this very idea. Women could be disciples only if they gave up the part of themselves that made them women. It wouldn't have been hard for someone to discover her as the ideal mark. Boy. Next question. Who is Walter Fritz and why would he go through all of this trouble? It's not like forging ancient papyrus is a lucrative career, right? Answer. One thing I hope readers realize is that motivations are complex. There is no one single answer to that question. There's always four or five. When Walter Fritz, correction, with Walter Fritz, we do know that he was unemployed and financially struggling. He was raised in southern Germany and studied Egyptology for a time in Berlin. He wrote a paper that he hoped would blow away the chairman of his department. Instead, he was accused of plagiarism and quickly left. This same Walter Fritz later turns up in Florida as an auto parts dealer, an art dealer, and finally an internet Parentheses. Fritz confirmed to CNN that he created at least two erotic websites. No lack of creativity in this article. <laughs> oh my goodness. Next question. 
initially caring, King brushed off the mysterious man with the supposedly ancient papyrus fragment. Why did she change her mind? Answer, that is the big question. She went from telling Fritz she didn't believe it was authentic and declining to help him and then out of the blue without consulting any scholar that I could find she does this 180 and says she would like to publish the fragment and make Harvard its home we're going to end this segment here and finish it in the next segment 